Welcome back to Who's Talking. She was one of the first reporters to take on the tech beat. Back in the days of dial-up modems and mobile phones the size of suitcases. Now she's known as the journalistic cop on the beat in Silicon Valley. Her combative style and straight shooter questions instill fear in some of the industry's most powerful people. This should get interesting. You've had a few clunkers in recent years. You think? That's not perception. That's reality. Life is feeling stronger than ever now in my life. How would you rate yourself as a chef? Why, I'm not doing that with you, Christopher Wilder. Kara Swisher, welcome. I am delighted Thank you. to get to meet you. I'm so glad to be on your spaceship here. It's very nice. <laughs> it's a handsome yes. spaceship you have, Chris. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, let's start in 1997. Okay. You become a reporter for the Wall Street Journal mm-hmm. in San Francisco, and you begin covering, in the early days, the tech beat. What was it like in those days? It was fun. It was interesting. They were, everything was on the table and they could do anything. And I think it was a much more innocent time. Um, Money tends to mess things up uh, rather quickly and they immediately got wealthy. But at the time they were very accessible, open to ideas, open to debate, which they are not as much, not everybody is now. Um, And very, um, just anything goes. And, And I don't mean that in a San Francisco style, though there's not that there's anything wrong with that. But it was sort of the idea that, that these, these, are, these are green fields and landscapes that could be built from nothing. Well, to pick up on that, you became known as, as talking to billionaires before they were billionaires. Yes, yes. Here you are, I think by this point they were billionaires, mm-hmm. in 2007 in the only joint interview ever mm-hmm. with Bill Gates and yeah. Steve Jobs. What's the greatest misunderstanding between you and your relationship and about each other? What would you say would be idea of cat fight, this idea of what, which one of the many? We've kept our marriage secret for over a decade now. <laughs> no, it's been fun to work together. Uh, and I actually kind of miss some of the people aren't around anymore. You know, people come and go in this industry. It's nice when somebody sticks around. There's that, that one line in that one Beatles song, uh, uh, you and I have memories longer than the road that stretches out ahead. And that's, that's clearly true here. You know, Steve Jobs has become, obviously, such a mythic figure. Help us understand him, not only then, but Mm -hmm. through the arc of his life, uh, personally and professionally. I'm I'm writing a memoir right now about my time in Silicon Valley, and I think he was on, you know, he was sort of the bad boy of Silicon Valley then. He'd mispark his car and, you know, in handicap spots and sort of say, you know, outrageous things. But today he looks rather benign, you know, in a lot of ways. In that interview was perfect because... Um, he was making a gay reference, obviously. And one of the things he loved to do was tweak Bill Gates all the time. It was kind of funny to watch. And in that case, he was doing it um, because, you know, we're gay, we're gay married. And you could see Bill's face going, I don't want to seem like a man I'm gay, but at the same time, I'm not gay. And yet it was, it was very funny. And so he was sort of, um, he was, um, I really enjoyed interviewing him a lot because he was passionate. And I think one thing that people got wrong about him was that he was heartless. I thought he had too much heart. And so he cared a lot, and he didn't mind saying so. And I always appreciated that about him. Uh, you know, he, he was known as being famously demanding, famously Very. difficult. True? I Define difficult. I mean, I'm not sure if I can say this word, but I have a thing. I'm sure I can't say this, but I have a prick to productivity ratio. And if you're a prick with a lot of productivity, I give you a little more space. Um, and in that case, I thought he... 
I think he was demanding on the products, and I thought that was okay. I, I, you know, there's, all, of course, all these things around his family and everything else, which I didn't cover. Um, but I felt like, no, I think he was not, not compared to some of the hijinks today, for sure, which seemed juvenile to me. You interviewed Mark Zuckerberg yep. in 2010, just after the movie The Social Network came out about the creation of Facebook. You know, there were real learning points and turning points along the way in terms of, um, in terms of building things. You know, it really went from this position very early on where we were just in this college dorm room. He was sweating so much he that he didn't do it right there, but a few minutes later, he actually took off his hoodie, which yes. you described as a great moment in the history of the internet. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I was teasing, but I made him take off his hoodie because he was sweating so profusely. I thought he might faint, and I thought that would be worse. Like if I had to give him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation <laughs> and my reputation would be blown from then. Um, and he was sweating and so uncomfortable. Why? why? I, you know, he said he was sick. Uh, he had been sick. Uh, I thought he had an anxiety attack. I think that's what I thought it was. I had heard he had had them before. And, um, but nonetheless, you had to fix it because he was turning white. And so I was sort of worried. And you had to acknowledge it because everyone could see it in the room. And so I asked him to take off his hoodie once. He wouldn't do it. Then he did it because it was so ridiculous. And how would help us understand Zuckerberg he, then and now? You know, he's a, let me just say this about Mark Zuckerberg because I've been pretty tough on him. He's a, he's a lovely person. He's very earnest. He tries very hard to learn. Um, he's certainly not like the comparable would be Elon Musk. Um, you know, he really does try hard to get it right. I think the problem is what he's doing is way above his head. Um, and, he, and he has full control of that company. And therefore, there's nobody What do you there. mean it's way above his head? Well, it, it's their problems that even the most um, sophisticated person of history and culture and society and politics probably would have a hard time figuring out the answer to. And in this case, you have one guy who has, who's young, didn't finish college, et cetera, which is fine. There's no reason that doesn't matter. But I think his sense of, of history is, and, and um, he's just not up to the task because I don't think anyone is. And what he's built has gotten so far out of control, nobody can handle it, except he's the only one that can make a decision because of the way the company is organized. Or in the past, now it's seen some trouble. So if anybody didn't know at the beginning of this interview, by now they do know that mm -hmm. you may be and are widely considered perhaps the most powerful plugged-in journalist mm -hmm. uh, on Silicon Valley. So, yeah. and, and tech world, where is that world right now? Who's up, who's down, uh, right. what's on the rise, what's on the decline? Well, Apple would be the one that's on the rise. Um, Multi-trillion dollar company uh, under Tim Cook. You know, Steve Jobs was an amazing visionary, but Tim Cook is an amazing operator and that company's 10 times, worth 10 times more than when Jobs was running it um, and has spread across the globe. Um, all of them are seeing growing pains. You see Facebook's stock has been cut in half practically or more, um, largely because of, of challenges from things like TikTok. Um, and, other, and other issues around regulation and such. Um, but I do still think uh, they're the same ones, Amazon, Google, even though they've seen some stock declines recently and done layoffs, um, Amazon, Google, um, and Meta to an extent, but he's, he's shifting his bet to the metaverse, which is rather early. I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of that shift, and I think it's too expensive. Um, but that, you know, it's his money, and he can do whatever he wants. Um, you know, I, I think it's the same ones, and I'm sort of waiting for another group of people to come along and supplant that, but it looks like the bigs are going to stay big. The big story, of course, right now, and you 
mentioned a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. is Elon Musk yeah. and, and, and Twitter. And last year, you interviewed Elon mm-hmm. before he took over the company about his affection for tweeting. Yes. Take a look. Someone explained it to me, I was very close to you, saying it's your release valve. This is where you feel better. Yeah, I think I said some people, some, some, some people use their hair to express themselves. I use Twitter. Do you regret any of it or not? You are kind of prominent. Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, Walk us through when you decide to do a, a tweet. You go, no, no, no. Well, yes. I, I think about it for hours. Do you? And I consult with my strategy team. <laughs> <laughs> After some yeah. of his early moves since he took over Twitter, you tweeted this, or you posted this. I've been more than fair and even indulgent over the years, especially to Elon. This behavior is heedless and needless and more than a little cruel. He's mm-hmm. blowing it. Yeah, he's blowing it. He is. I know him very well. I've done, I did a, a podcast this week about our long relationship. We've done a lot of interviews. I think a lot of him is a visionary. I think the cars and rockets are so impressive and such achievements. But right now, the way he's behaving around Twitter, uh, I'm not sure what's going on. It feels... Um, careless in a way that I don't think he's been like. But he's always been, tried to do his best, I think, in many ways, although there's been some issues around COVID and the the factories, which we've argued about, and a bunch of different things. In this case, his id has completely taken over, um, and it's it's out of control, and nobody's controlling it. And so I had to say it. I was particularly upset by his tweet about, one of the first tweets he did as a CEO was misinformation about Paul Pelosi, the Paul Pelosi attack, and he attached it to um, a, a news source that had a ridiculous um, anti. There's no other to say the anti-gay trope from the 1970s almost. It was crazy, and he did it in a way that was so careless and, and never apologized. He took it down, but that that kind of thing sort of was a warning signal. Of what the heck is happening here to this guy? So, how does this story of Musk and Twitter? How does this end? Well, he's got a lot of debt. That's what—that's the issue. Even though he's the world's richest man for now, because Tesla stock, where he gets most of his wealth, is down rather considerably, um, he's—he's going to have to build a business. And that's—I'm sort of curious why he's spending all this time tweeting ridiculous stuff or attacking people. I mean, the tweets have been so juvenile, and it's not inexplicable because he does it. But I'd like him to get back to tweeting, you know, memes, kind of cat memes or whatever he wants to do. These are very pointed and angry. And so, and they're not funny. Like sometimes he's funny, but this is not funny. I'd like him to build a business. He's sort of um, insulting advertisers. Doesn't seem to be, wouldn't be what I would do if no, I was, not a good given 96% of their business is advertising, but he attacked them as woke, which was ridiculous. I, you know, I think I tweeted something like if, if Satan had a business that could make the money, advertisers would advertise on it. And so um, I just don't, I don't understand what he's doing. He's alienating his advertisers. He's alienating his big users like myself and active users. Um, we had some amazing stuff going on with Twitter spaces and every advertiser left us um, because they didn't want to be part of this. They didn't feel safe on the platform. It was a great deal that we were working on it, with Is Twitter. it conceivable? Yeah. It could just collapse? Yes, of course, yeah. They got it. They owe, he's going to owe debt in April. Um, and he has to have cash flow. He's got to have money. Now, he's made a lot of cuts. That could help. Um, again, heedlessly and not very nice to the people. You can, you can make layoffs. Everybody has to um, at this point in the economy. But the way he's doing it is obnoxious. I don't know how else to put it. Um, I, 
Yes, absolutely. He has revenue. You need revenues, and he's going to have to pay something, or else he's going to have to dip into his pocket and pay more. And he's taken money from a lot of his rich friends, like Larry Ellison. Um, I don't think they expect the money back necessarily. And maybe the banks will just give him a break because he's so rich. You know, you've seen it over and over again. Wealthy right. and powerful people get a break more than others. Right, too big to fail. Yeah. Uh, how concerned are you about TikTok as a national security threat? Very much so. I, I wrote a column three years ago saying, I love TikTok. What a great product. I use it on a burner phone. That was the whole column. Like, I love it. Literally, you will not use your regular no. phone. You want to have a separate phone that they can't, if they I, penetrate I, I it, they can't. I don't love having Instagram. I don't use Instagram either. I don't like how they use data, but that's just me. Um, uh, but I, th I am very worried about the influence. Now, it's, I did a recent interview with the COO. She's an amazing executive um, named Vanessa Pappas, and she's from Google. I've known her a long time. Um, but the question is, how much influence does the Chinese government have on this app, and what could they do with it? And I'm not as much concerned of them looking at the, the habits of Kara Swisher, who happens to like watching air fryer and, um, and sand cutting videos. But I, I do worry about the slight levels of ability to influence. They could suddenly on Taiwan or something or things that are, you know, they, what's fascinating is TikTok is the most moderated of the social networks. So they, that could go in lots of directions or not, or not. But I certainly think it's appropriate that we look at um, the government, how we can um, minimize that influence because the Chinese government is into everybody's business in China. It just is. So forgive me, but I'm now going to ask you uh, the kinds of questions sure. that Kara Swisher would ask. Fine. Oh, goody. So, so <laughs> good luck. Which means Good tough. luck, Chris. Okay, yeah, good. I've, luck. I've heard you're tough. I've heard, I've heard that. Um, not as tough as you. Uh, people, critics say you're too close yeah. to the people you cover. Yeah, sure. Um, I think Elon would not say that right now. In fact, he called me an asshole recently. Um, I think I try to find the the business argument for things. And you need to get to know them in order to do so. Um, but I'm not their friend. I don't fly on their planes. I don't go to their houses and things like that. Um, but it's a little probably akin to Washington in that you have to get to know people over a period of time and have relationships. Um, but again, I can't name any of them who's a friend of mine or who I consider. Another criticism mm -hmm. that one hears is that for years you've run tech conferences. Yes. And that you make money from, yeah. and they depend on big executives showing up because other, that means audiences will show up. Yeah. And it's been called access journalism. Yes, of course. Except have you watched the interviews? They're not very. They're not very tough interviews. And so, is that like you have guests here and you have advertising and you make money from it? It was interesting. Um, I don't know why it's any different from you having a show or the New York Times getting an interview with someone. They're selling advertising against that content. Um, we don't prepare the questions with them. Many of them are tough. We had a sponsor, uh, Carly Fiorina from HP, and mm -hmm. she literally was furious at me because I was very tough on her lack of innovation on stage in front of everyone. And when we got off stage and she goes, uh, I'm a sponsor. And I'm like, okay, good, good for you. I don't know what to tell you. I'm, this is the interview that you deserve. And as long as you keep these lines where it, they don't get to prepare, they don't get to decide, um, and you do the toughest interview possible, I don't see a problem with it. I don't think it's access. I think what happens is when you say, okay, I'm not going to ask you about this. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to be very soft on you. I doubt anybody would call me soft on anyone. So now we go, I'm going to go it at the opposite way. You do have a reputation mm -hmm. for being combative. 
Yes. For being tough. Yeah. How do you play? I don't, I, at all, not at all. I think I ask direct questions and I think that's fair and I think smart people like it. And I think, I, don't, I get complaints from weak people because that's, the, I don't get complaints. Steve Jobs didn't mind. I asked him plenty of tough questions because he's a smart guy and he can handle it and he's a big boy. And so one of the things I do think, and I, te- I tend not to use this, but I'm a lady doing it. And so like, oh, she's tough. She's this, she's that. I get a little bit of a pass because I'm gay. Like, oh, it's a lesbian, so we're going to expect that to be tough. But you, know, you do. I hate to say it, but you do. Um, but at some level, I'm like, show me where I'm not fair. If you look at those Mark Zuckerberg interviews where I was very hard on him on Alex Jones, and then later he, he wandered into Holocaust uh, deniers, and I, was, I, I let him speak. Now, I'm sorry he said stupid things. Not my fault. I just asked the question. I know I sound like Tucker Carlson right now, which is really sad. So let me ask you one other aspect of this, sure. though. When an NBC reporter interviewed Lieutenant yes, Governor yes. Yeah. Fetterman before the election, mm-hmm. the reporter, a woman, said that she that he had mm-hmm. trouble understanding when they were having small talk before yeah. the interview. Yes. And you posted this. Sorry to say, but I talked to John Fetterman for over an hour without stop or any aids, and this is just nonsense. Maybe this reporter is just bad at small talk. Why go there? I don't know. I was irritated by that because I think she didn't, she's not a doctor. I had a stroke, okay? And I had the exact same thing. I had a hard time with small talk. I was cognitively fine. And a lot of times you would say, oh, there's something wrong with you because you can't get words out. Well, maybe he had a bad day. Maybe he didn't want to talk to you. I don't know what but, it but is. But it was her experience, one. Absolutely. And two, afterwards, yes. between that and he the speech. He had a bad debate. He had a terrible debate. He had and a- all she was trying to answer was the question everybody had, which is, how is he? Uh, but that doesn't tell you how he is. I'm, I, I understand why, and maybe I'm more emotional about it than most people, but I experienced that, and everyone was, when I was, when, it, when I had an hour-long interview with him, and he answered every question just fine. He had some ums and ahs, so do many people, much less than I thought. I think I was particularly irritated, because it played into the GOP's efforts to make it a thing whether it was true or not, to take advantage of someone's medical crisis and question things that are just, if you know anything about strokes, he was not cognitively impaired. He, was, he had sensory issues. I, but, I, want, I want to pick up on this because okay. one of the reasons that, as you say, that it probably struck you differently than other people is because 10 years ago, yeah, you had a stroke. That's correct. And what did you do? Kara Swisher, you posted a video from your hospital bed yeah. in Hong Kong, which you said you were, quote, as snarky as usual. Guess yes. what? Here's the video. Oh, wow. I haven't seen this in years. One piece of advice I do have for Asia D attendees who are traveling back to their homes. Please don't get in a window seat with two giant dudes in the way so you can't get out and walk around in the 14 hours. Or you could end up with this. Or this. Or this. And in a special message to Silicon Valley, I'm still watching you very closely. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. kind of a badass, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, kind of. I, like to, I wear those glasses for years. I'm, Tom Cruise stole the idea from me. Um, for, no, he didn't. I, 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 uh, I, I was trying to communicate that I was fine. I read somewhere that you said that you don't really care yeah. what people think. I don't. And, and you attributed it to two things, and I want to explore that. One is you said that your dad died when you were five years old. Yeah. And the other reason you say you don't care what people think is because you say you're gay. Yeah. Why would that make you not care? Well, 
I, I grew up in a, in a period when it wasn't great to be coming out. Um, I don't have time. My dad died at 34, three kids, just gotten out of the Navy, um, cerebral hemorrhage, dead, just dead like that. And so when you have that happen to you, you realize how short life is. You, uh, you're cognizant of death, mortality, it plays a big role in your life. And so everything else falls away. And St- Steve Jobs talked about this in that famous Stanford speech that I love. It's my favorite speech that he ever did. And one of my favorite speeches of all time, everything else falls away. And so I don't have time for, you know, some people say that you may be, I'm like, are you a jerk or not? Like, are you, some people say this, some people say that. I, I don't have time for that. And so I have limited time. And so I've got to ask questions on the gay thing. So your own family doesn't, is, is against you you know, as opposed to other groups that get discriminated against. And it's better now. Um, but you have, you have to constantly be fighting a rid- ridiculously over something that you just are. And so it sort of makes you, it doesn't toughen you more than it's like, you know, if you don't like me for that, I don't know what to tell you, but I'm just going to keep being who I am and have kids and get married and do anything I, I want. Because if you're, that's the way the standards you're using, I don't have time for you. And does the fact that you're married and are, have four children, has that softened Kara Swisher? No, no, but yes, but yes. Yeah, I'm a good mom. I think I'm a good mom. I always wanted to have kids. Um, you know, interestingly, related to the stroke, when after I had the stroke, someone, what happens when you have a stroke is people pat you a lot. Like, oh, you know, you're not going to, when you have any medical crisis. And they're like, you're going to have to slow down now. I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm speeding up. I could die at any second now. And now this has been a reminder. This is... You know, God's reminder, Kara, you know, keep going. And same thing with kids is I really don't, um, I, I think parenting is the most important thing I've done. I know that sounds kind of odd because I've had such a pretty good career. Um, but I, I want to raise really wonderful people, and I think it's really important to do so. And so soften me. Yes, I'm very, you know, I hand, I'm the candy giver. I'm the fun parent. I'm the the one that gives out. You're like, not the disciplinarian? No, I'm not. Oh, I'm, man. Like, I'm also the one. I'm Your not. wife must really I know. be tough. <laughs> no, she's not. We're not. Um, like, for example, my son who's, is applying at college now, and he's, he's a very good student. He gets straight A's and everything else. And I'm the one that's like, yeah, don't do your homework. It doesn't matter. Like, the, the schools call me. They're like, stop telling them not to do their homework. I'm like, well, it really doesn't matter, does it? And so, um, and, you know, or this sort of achievement wheel. I was just talking to a group of Stanford students, and they asked for advice, and I said, get off your achievement wheel because, you know, it's not going to, the way, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, I don't know why you're doing it. I don't understand. And so whenever I don't like something or where I am, I'll leave. I left, just left the New York Times. I wasn't having as much fun as I need to. Um, and I'm doing it on my own. I wanted to own my own content, so I just did that. And so um, and my kids, you asked me if my kids made me softer. No. One thing that we know is that you can and do laugh at yourself. Yes. Uh, you're a consultant. We're a consultant on the HBO show Silicon Valley, yeah. and you actually played yourself yeah. in a tech conference. Take a look. There is a climate in this country that is very dangerous. It's dangerous out there for billionaires. <laughs> There's that attitude again, Kara. Billionaires are people, too. So let's end it there. Are billionaires people too? Yes, they are. And stop treating them like gods. They're not. They make mistakes, as you can see from Elon Musk's behavior recently. And they're also, um, they shouldn't be in charge of everything. They were not elected. Um, They shouldn't make all decisions for us. Um, Everyone has power. And I think one of the things, I, I don't like the term necessarily speak truth to power, but why are they any smarter than, than an, you know, 
a friend of mine who's a nurse, why are they any smarter? They're not. They just happen to be richer. And I don't think rich makes you um, better. I think it's, it's an, a reflection of something, for sure. It's definitely a statistic that's interesting. But one of the things I often say um, to billionaires, who uh, many of whom I like very much, and are very, I like Mark Cuban, for example, and many others, um, is whenever they misbehave or they do something that's really kind of gross to me, at least, it's just my opinion, I always say, you're so poor, all you have is money. And they, they, it makes them think, and I'm glad I do. Kara, thank you. You were very gentle with me. Thank you. No problem. Chris, you're a great interviewer. What are you talking about? You're tough. Are you tough? Do you like when people call you tough? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But fair. Yeah. Kara Swisher is currently the host of two podcasts, On with Kara Swisher and Pivot. She's also, as she mentioned, writing a memoir on her long career covering Silicon Valley. It's set to come out next year. Thanks for watching. Catch us every Sunday night on CNN and keep streaming anytime you want right here on HBO Max to find out who's talking next.